By day, I am a contemporary art curator, which means that my focus in my professional life is on art of the present, of the now. I spend most of my time homing in on photographs that were created just months ago, a sculpture finished last week, a painting still in process, the oil paint still drying. I love that the work I see every day reflects so much of the time and place in which we live, and I find it exhilarating. But I'll be the first to admit that along with this exhilaration, I sometimes feel other emotions when looking at art of the now. Disdain. Despair. Fear. I'm frequently asked by others, why is art today so challenging, so shocking? These kinds of questions make me come back to a statement that I've made time and again, not only on this podcast, but in everyday life. It's obvious when you think about it, but also strangely hard to accept sometimes. All art was, once, considered contemporary. Works that we take for granted today as masterpieces, or as the epitomes of the finest of fine art, could also have been considered ugly, of poor quality, or just bad when they were first made. With the passage of time comes a calm and an acceptance. But that doesn't change the fact that there are many works of art peppered through art history that were straight up shocking to the public when they were first presented, decades or even hundreds of years ago. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, crazier, or more fun than you can imagine. Today, we are starting an all-new season of episodes dissecting single works of art that shook their contemporary worlds, beginning with John Singer Sargent's magnificent and scandalous portrait of Amélie Gautreaux, nicknamed Madame X. Welcome to the fourth season of the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I am Jennifer Dassel. From the outset, it doesn't seem like John Singer Sargent would end up becoming someone who would cause much of a fuss at all, let alone creating a portrait so scandalous that, even today, it's still frequently referred to by its risque-sounding nickname, Madame X, instead of its official title, wherein the sitter is identified as one Madame Amélie Gautreaux. John Singer Sargent was born to an upper-class family originally from Massachusetts, with parents who exhibited a major streak of wanderlust. After a death in the family led Sargent's parents to escape to Europe for a respite in 1854, they quickly discovered that they really, really loved living in Europe. I mean, who wouldn't, right? And they adopted a semi-nomadic lifestyle, living in different countries depending on the season or the time of year. It was during a stint in Florence, Italy, that John Singer Sargent himself was born, in January of 1856. Due to his family's traveling lifestyle, Sargent never attended a traditional school, and was instead educated by means of experience, becoming an autodidact with a propensity for languages, picking up French, German, and Italian with ease. But it wasn't just language that sparked an interest in young Sargent. All that traveling exposed him to a wide variety of art. Think of all those museums and churches and sculpture gardens he must have seen. It's no wonder that art became an early fascination. And like many artists before and after him, his parents had an affinity for it too. 
His mother was an amateur artist, while his own father, a doctor, was also skilled in making detailed medical drawings. So, with a gentle push from his mother, John Singer Sargent began pursuing art first as a hobby and later a career. His first formal art training took place during the winter of 1873 when he was enrolled at the tender age of 17 at the Academy of Fine Arts in Florence. But less than one year later, he was ready to take his studies to the next level. He was ready to move to Paris. Once settled in Paris in the spring of 1874, John Singer Sargent sprang right to action, entering the studio of renowned painter Charles-Auguste-Emile Durand, called Carolus Durand, a sought-after portraitist known for his vibrant and charming portraits of the highest of French society. Carolus Durand's teaching style was fast and loose, focusing less on the technical or historical aspects of the craft and more on just doing it. He encouraged his students to skip the preliminary sketching process and instead to immediately begin painting so that their compositions remained fresh and lively and that they learned to effectively manipulate their materials simply by repetition or use alone. Sargent loved working in this style, not only because it suited his own sensibilities, but because Carolus Durand modeled his own style of working off that of Spanish master Diego Velázquez, one of Sargent's personal favorites. So with the long shadow of Velázquez and Carolus Durand's guiding hand, Sargent flourished, working with Carolus Durand for nearly five years. The influence of his mentor can be seen in Sargent's choice of portraiture as his preferred subject matter. He originally loved landscape painting best, believe it or not. But after seeing his master's success, and no doubt experiencing the clamor of European society to have their portraits made, he began to become a portraitist himself. His first major commission was a portrait of a friend, Fanny Watts, a work now on view at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. This piece is so virtuosic in its handling of velvety brushstrokes, the glimmer of light playing upon Fanny's golden necklace, and the almost defiant sense of insouciance in her eyes. It's no wonder that John Singer Sargent was accepted into the 1877's Paris Salon with this work as his acceptance piece, created by the age of 21. He outdid himself two years later with a photo-perfect portrait of Carolus Durand, one that, again, was so lauded that about his work, the American writer Henry James noted that Sargent had, quote, the slight uncanny spectacle of a talent which on the very threshold of its career has nothing more to learn, unquote. Such talent allowed Sargent's career to skyrocket, and by his mid to late 20s, he was already one of the most sought-after portraitists, receiving commissions from all over Europe and in the United States. He consistently showed new and highly praised work at the Paris Salon. It seemed, to most, like everything he touched was golden. John Singer Sargent could do no wrong. But then he met Virginie Amélie Gautreau. Born in New Orleans to a white Creole family, Amélie, as she was known, moved with her recently widowed mother to Paris when she was eight years old. And it was in Paris that she came of age and became a fixture in Parisian high society, eventually marrying a well-respected banker and shipping magnate named Pierre Gautreau. From the start, it was obvious that Madame Pierre Gautreau, Amélie, was a beauty, a prominent and somewhat unusual beauty that made her an object of fascination to many. And she knew it. With her chic hourglass figure, elegant patrician nose, flowing red hair, and ridiculously pale skin, Amélie did everything she could to highlight her rarefied beauty, even using lavender-toned blush and allegedly eating arsenic wafers to give herself an even paler complexion. 
It appears that she completely fit that old saying, because women wanted to be her and men wanted to be with her. To that last point, the married Amélie certainly did not discourage men's interest in her, and she became notorious in Paris for her love affairs as much as anything else, so much so that her exploits were documented in the tabloids of the day. One of her paramours was a doctor by the last name of Popsy, whose portrait had been painted previously by one very famous painter, John Singer Sargent. Sargent knew about Amélie Gautreau, of course. Anyone who was anyone in Paris did and he had a grand idea. If he was able to create a stunning portrait of one of the most beautiful women in all of Europe, he could grab even more attention at the ever-influential Paris Salon and get even bigger and better commissions, and onward and upward. So Sargent, inspired in all a flutter, wrote to the doctor and asked that a connection be made. He said, quote, I have a great desire to paint her portrait and have reason to think that she would allow it and is waiting for someone to propose this homage to her beauty. If you are bien avec elle, or good with it, and will see her in Paris, you might tell her that I am a man of prodigious talent." Unquote. Strangely enough, Gautreau wasn't all about the idea, at least not at the beginning. Sargent effectively had to hound her with requests and was adamant that he do so without requesting a fee or a commission on the work of art. It was his idea after all, so he wasn't going to charge her a thing. Eventually, Gautreau obliged, and she and Sargent began to make plans to meet and begin the process of sitting for a portrait. But it didn't go too well initially. During the winter of 1883, as things got underway, Gautreau discovered, like many before and many after her, that sitting for an oil painting, or even a charcoal drawing, can be an excruciating experience. You have to sit or stand still for a long time, and a long-held pose can be tiring, even painful. And of course, in the 1880s, there were no podcasts or TV to distract you. And if the artist you're working with is silent in concentration, oh boy, you are in for one tedious experience. To top it all off, Gautreau still had a widely full social calendar to deal with, so sitting for Sargent really fell by the wayside. However, though the process was both difficult for artist and subject, they came to an agreement that they were in it for the long haul. This incredible portrait must and would be made. So Gautreau invited Sargent to her estate in Brittany in June 1883 to get to the serious work of establishing the basis for this piece, where Sargent broke from his academic training and created a series of 30 drawings and preliminary compositions in pencil, oil, and watercolors, very against his Carolus Duran-inspired training. But hey, you gotta do whatever you have to to keep your muse happy. And happy Sargent was too remaining on site at the estate in Brittany until mid-fall of that year, when he deemed his work complete. Coming up next, the unveiling of John Singer Sargent's brand new masterpiece and the unexpected reaction that it produced in all of Paris. Stay with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My love of learning didn't stop when I finished grad school. There is still so much I want to know and so much more I want to learn. 
And that is why I love The Great Courses Plus. This is such a wonderful streaming service, and it allows me to learn about anything that interests me from the leading professors and experts in their fields. You can explore topics from art, literature, history, science, photography, travel, and so much more. With The Great Courses Plus, you get unlimited access to over 10,000 fascinating lectures that you can watch from anywhere, or you can listen along through The Great Courses Plus app. A course that I really enjoyed a few months back was How to Draw. And I loved this because it gave me really easy step-by-step -step tutorials on drawing shapes, on color, light, shadow, composition, and it gives you a nice primer for both novices and also interesting information for more experienced artists. It can change the way that you look at art as well as the world around you. And I know you are going to love The Great Courses Plus just as much as I do. And as one of my listeners, you can enjoy How to Draw and any of their lectures for free. So start your free trial today by going to my special URL. You can sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash art. Sign up today. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash art. I love to hang art on my walls, and I'm always looking for something unique that no one else has. And that is why I am so glad that I found Bumblejacks. Bumblejacks transforms my digital photos into large, beautiful, gallery-quality wall art with unique material touches like acrylic, bamboo, raw aluminum, and birch, so I can turn all of my favorite pictures into gorgeous statement pieces throughout my house. Bumblejacks creates frameless floating wall art with your own digital photos, so there's no need to hassle about finding an expensive matching frame. Or you can even use your own photos to create acrylic photo blocks that make these stunning stand-up displays for your tables or your mantle. And you can use all of your own photos, or if you want, you can choose from millions of images on the Bumblejacks website to perfectly fit the mood and color scheme of any room. I was looking through a gallery of these incredible landscapes and sunsets, and it was so stunning. I can imagine that you can have any room all of a sudden feel so much more beautiful and relaxing with these images from Bumblejacks. I want to help you transform your home with beautiful wall art, so I've worked out a very special offer with Bumblejacks for my listeners. Use my promo code CURIOUS to get 25% off your Bumblejacks order, but you need to hurry because this offer expires on October 31st, 2018. Easily create stunning wall art for your home with Bumblejacks. Go to Bumblejacks.com right now and use promo code CURIOUS. That's B-U-M-B-L-E-J-A-X.com, promo code CURIOUS. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. So what does that mean? It means that RX Bars are made with real, whole ingredients. They believe in the power of transparency, and so they let the core ingredients do all of the talking for them. And they are listed on the front of every RX Bar package. So you've probably recognized RX Bar if you've seen them on the shelf. They're the ones that have egg whites listed as protein, Dates are there for sweetness and to bind, nuts for texture, and then they're mixed with other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like cinnamon and sea salt. They have 14 delicious flavors for adults such as peanut butter, peanut butter chocolate, blueberry, mixed berry, and my personal favorite, coconut chocolate. But did you know that RX Bar also has a kid line as well? Because parents like me, we expect the same high quality and clean label nutrition for our kids as much as we do for ourselves. Kids bars have that same whole food ingredients as regular RX bars, but they are smaller and they come in amazing kid-friendly flavors like chocolate chip, PB&J, and peanut butter chocolate. 
And both adult and kids bars are totally gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free, and they also have no artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. I mentioned that my favorite bar was the coconut chocolate bar for grown-ups. It tasted amazing, and it was just really nice to know exactly what was in the bar without these added fillers or preservatives or anything artificial. RX Bar is offering you an exclusive pack of six adult bars and four kid bars so that the whole family is able to enjoy. So for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com artcurious and enter the promo code artcurious at checkout. So once again, for 25% off for your first order, visit rxbar.com artcurious and then enter the promo code artcurious, one word, at checkout. Welcome back to Art Curious. John Singer Sargent's finished portrait of Amélie, Madame Pierre Gautreau, ended up being different in both size and appearance than the artist had originally intended. The first change that he made was that he wanted the work to be big, really big, to ensure that it would be rightfully noticed at the Salon. The canvas he chose measures in at 92 by 43 inches, or more than seven and a half feet tall and three and a half wide, so more than life size. These extra large dimensions forced an alteration from his previous preliminary sketches that showed Gautreaux sitting or lounging, so that he opted in the final version to have his leading lady standing in order to fill up more canvas space, a full body portrait. So noticeable she would be, to say the very least and noticeable even more for that infamously pale skin of hers. Sargent was adamant that he get that detail right. So to mimic her utterly and artificially pale skin, Sargent used a combination of lead white, an intense rouge, vermilion red, and a blue-green pigment mixed together with black to create Gautreaux's iconic pallor. The final appearance is striking indeed. She has this spectral glow of her skin emanating from the canvas, shining in comparison to her long, dark black hair. Gautreaux's head is turned in profile against an abstracted brown background, leaning against a wooden table with that same elegant insouciance that Fanny Watts displayed in her own portrait. Only, there was a difference here. Fanny Watts was decently dressed, in the eyes of the general public. In Sargent's portrait of Amelie, though, the sitter dons a gown with a drastically plunging neckline and golden shoulder straps, one of which was presented as having fallen ever so slightly off of her right shoulder. That fallen strap is perhaps the most interesting part of the story. When John Singer Sargent finally unveiled his completed work at the Paris Salon of 1884, he and Amelie were ready for their respective victory laps. Both were extraordinarily proud of this incredible, towering portrait. But the reception was not what either had anticipated. It was far, far worse. And salon attendees were horrified by what they saw. What drew most of their collective ire? That fallen strap. That simple golden glimmering strap caught the eye of every passerby. And it screamed one thing. Loose morals. Was the strap dangling off her shoulder because she was about to take off her dress for some unidentified suitor? Is her far-off expression a sign of a daydream about a recent, or even soon-to-occur, tryst? One French critic certainly thought the worst of it, writing that the portrait seemed so brazen and sexualized that if one was to stand in front of the painting and listen, one would hear, quote, every curse word in the French language, unquote. 
Thus, with a flick of his paintbrush, Sargent had created a firestorm that made visible every speck of gossip that had ever been published or whispered about Amélie Gautreaux, that she was promiscuous, open to extramarital affairs, that she was a woman to be avoided, with a virtue to be questioned. To be fair, Sargent must have had an inkling that the work would cause a scene because he effectively attempted to anonymize the sitter by not identifying her in the title. The label next to the painting originally simply read, Portrait of Madame Blank. But when your sitter was a lauded and much gossiped about member of Parisian high society, it wouldn't be terribly long before that sitter would be identified. And that is exactly what happened. Amelie was outed almost immediately as the Madame of the image. And both she and the entire Gautreaux family experienced harassment due to the picture. Sargent himself wasn't immune either, eventually falling victim to Gautreaux's mother herself, who tracked him down and hounded him to withdraw the portrait from exhibition at the salon, screaming, quote, All Paris is making fun of my daughter. She is ruined, unquote. Sargent, of course, refused. He didn't allow the work to be taken down, and he claimed that he wasn't trying to be brazen or scandalous, and that he wasn't trying to flaunt sexuality in the face of an otherwise slightly prudish society. He claimed he was simply depicting Gautreaux as she appeared before him, no insinuation in sight. And he felt no strong need to remove the work from exhibition, being that it was also uncommissioned. It belonged to no one but the artist himself. And so on view it stayed for the remainder of the salon's exhibition period. One thing didn't remain for long, though, that dangling dress strap. Gautreaux's family, and eventually Amélie Gautreaux herself, exerted so much pressure on the artist that, after it returned to his studio in the aftermath of the salon, Sargent caved and repainted the image, placing that golden strap squarely and securely on Amélie's right shoulder. Partially, this move was a financial bet. Sargent was hoping that the repainting would calm his muse and her family, and that they would put forward the hefty funds to purchase the painting outright. But, alas, they refused. But who could blame them? They were embarrassed by the response that the painting garnered, and who'd want to be surrounded with the daily reminder of that experience in one's own home? And so, with Sargent, it stayed, traveling with him as he moved to London quickly after, where he remained for the rest of his life. Some have suggested that the move to London was precipitated by the poor reception to the painting of Amélie Gautreaux and the fact that some Parisian aristocrats were hesitant to hire Sargent for their portraits out of fear of backlash from their peers or out of concern that their own portraits would be ridiculed or despised. In England, though, Sargent found a larger group of sitters available, and in America, too. In fact, he reached the height of his popularity more than a decade after the completion of Madame X. until the very end, Sargent seems to have carried a soft spot for Amélie Gautreaux, perhaps out of guilt that his famous painting caused her and her family so much grief. He kept her painting in his possession for over 30 years before opting to show it again. And even then, he made the conscious decision to exhibit it only in the United States, far enough from Parisian society and from anyone connected with Amélie Gautreaux and her family. In 1916, Sargent sold the piece to New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art for a sum of $1,000, but made one request. He insisted that the name of the painting be changed from Portrait of Madame Pierre Gautreaux to Portrait of Madame X, in order to preserve Gautreaux's anonymity and thus her legacy. What a delicate request, and one that is ultimately made more special when Sargent himself insisted that the work was, quote, the best thing I've ever done. 
unquote. Sargent's overt kindness to Gautreaux after the fact does make some sense. It's fair to say that after the Salon, Amélie's reputation was damaged. She used the opportunity to disappear quietly from Parisian high society for some time in order to recover. But an interesting footnote remains. She continued, in the following decade, to sit as the subject of multiple paintings, including one, an 1891 work by an artist named Gustave Courtois that portrays Amélie again in profile, wearing a Greek-inspired gown with a plunging neckline and a lacy shoulder strap slipped down and around her left arm. This one, it seems, made little to no fuss in greater society, and I'm not sure what to think about it. It begs so many questions. Was this work basically ignored because it was a been-there-done-that situation? A copycat of a more famous or infamous work by a more talented artist? Were the artist and sitter conspiring in a way to play off of Amélie's celebrity and regain a kind of status? I don't know. But what I do know is that Amélie Gautreaux lived the rest of her life, especially after the turn of the century, in a relatively quiet manner, passing away at the age of 56 in 1915. But it's safe to say that her memory of when she was a scandalous beauty, the talk or gossip of all of Paris, still remains loud and clear, echoing from the stately halls of one of the world's top museums. Next time on the Art Curious Podcast, we are returning to a work of art that we covered briefly in our last season, and we are ready to go do a deep dive on one of the most shocking works of art created by that big daddy of modernism, Edward Manet. That's coming up in two weeks. Don't miss it. Thank you for listening to this first episode of the fourth season of the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Kelsey Breen. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and social media help is by Emily Crockett. Our production and editorial services are provided by Kabunki, video, content, ideas. Learn more at kabonki.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is an interdisciplinary creative space founded to foster artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition spaces, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. That means that you can donate to our show and it is fully tax deductible. As always, you can go to our website for details on how to donate, as well as to find images, information, and links to our previous episodes. That site is artcuriouspodcast.com. Remember to find us there and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at artcuriouspod. Subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, and please tell anyone you can about the show. It really does help us find new listeners. Check back in two weeks as we continue to explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in the shocking works of art history. 